Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 8. You guys can follow along on the screen. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So just to set the stage, the stories that, uh, the stories that Emily read for us, we, we're just kind of uh, making our way through a bit of Matthew's gospel. And the stories that Emily read for us, just to, by way of reminder, the first verse tells us that Jesus came down from the mountainside and large crowds followed him. I, again, if you weren't with us last week or if you're unfamiliar with the context, this this coming down from this mountainside, this particular mountainside is of great significance. It, it, is the, it is the mountainside on which Jesus has given us the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, the hard words of like, you've heard the law, it said this, you know, that uh, don't murder, I am telling you, don't even be angry, right? The, the, the mountainside where Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, the mountainside where uh, we hear the injunction, don't judge, right, like in the way that you want to, because uh, you got stuff in your eye as well. Uh, the mountainside where we hear um, uh, the, the call to be perfect, Jesus says, as my Father in heaven is perfect. So it's this particular mountainside, and we considered it last week, But I just think we need to remember that as we step into what happens next. Okay, so we've come away from this feeling. We we talked about the feeling last week that that sermon might give us. We could respond a few ways, but one of them is just feeling overwhelmed at at the call to be genuinely good 
Yes. Uh, right? That was like right on cue. Um, uh, and and the, 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 that overwhelming feeling. And we considered that Jesus himself is, is the portrait of that, that in all the ways we fall short of that picture, Jesus says, I, I am uh, the one about whom this word uh, is given, right? It is, it is me, look and walk with me. So having set that stage, we, we read Jesus coming down from the mountain and he's in, uh, encountering the crowds or gathering around him and right out of the gate from this glorious moment in the context of Matthew's telling of the story, uh, we, we, we find that he, he runs into a leper, an outcast, religiously, ceremonially, physically, an outcast from the community. It, it is worth considering. So uh, actually in the stories that Emily read for us, we get three healings. Jesus heals a leper, uh, and then Matthew tells us he heals a, a centurion's servant, and then Peter's mother-in-law. So we get these three sort of incredible stories of Jesus' power coming right off the mountain. And uh, it's interesting that of all the stories, right, Matthew says at the end of this section, there was loads of this happening in Jesus' life and ministry. But these are the three that he has, has given to us. Uh, these specific three that he has pulled us into, a leper, a centurion, and Peter's mother-in-law. It sounds like the beginning of a bad joke, right? Right? A leper, a centurion, and Peter's mother-in-law walked into a bar or whatever. In this case, they bumped into Jesus, right? And all of us are wondering, we're waiting for the punchline, right? Like, what will happen? What will happen? We, we're talking about sort of the portrait that we get of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. And I heard someone say that, particularly after the Sermon on the Mount, the feeling can be like the portrait we have of Jesus is like Officer Jesus. Uh, you know, they made some joke about, you know, it's not what would Jesus do, it's what would Officer Jesus do is be the new bracelet, right? And, and I, that feeling of like the call to be perfect, how do we live in light of that? Right out of that, we get this moment where these specific three, Matthew tells us, run into Jesus and we're left wondering what, will happen? What will Jesus do? What will they do? What will happen? I, I think it's a question we're meant to feel in Matthew's gospel this morning because of what these three people have in common. N not only that they're all sick, but that they're all excluded. They're all on the outside of the congregation or the community. They would not be allowed into the places of worship and the temple, the, 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 the nearest, dearest, sort of um, most sacred places of worship. The leper for his physical condition and the implications it has for religious purity, and the word might be perfection, is on the outside. The centurion for his ethnicity, his relation uh, and, and his place in the Roman sort of context on the outside. Peter's mother-in-law for her gender on the outside. None of them would have been allowed into the court of the temple, the, 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 the place of sort of sacred belonging and worship with, before the priests. And it's a reality that Jesus himself will point to. He'll make specific because he'll praise the centurion's faith, as Emily read for us, and say, I, I haven't seen faith like this from anyone that's sort of the traditional, ideal Israelite man, is the implication. You, the centurion, an outsider, I haven't seen this kind of faith in the people who sort of uh, are on the inside. And so we wonder, right? The thing they hold in common is outsiders. Yes, they're sick. They're desperate. They, they, they hold in common. We, we wonder, a, a leper, a centurion, Peter's mother-in-law walk into a bar. What happens now? 
having heard these stories, this is what I want to do this morning. I, I want to step out of, outside of the story, just kind of step back from it for a moment and consider two ways that I think we maybe respond to the feelings this story evokes, the kinds of experiences that are given to us in this portrait of Jesus. Two examples of, I'll suggest, perhaps two among many, of what normally happens in our own lives when uh, sort of coming off the mountain, if you will, of Jesus' teaching, perhaps encountering him in his perfection as the righteous one who makes righteous demands. Uh, I'll suggest a couple of options about how we respond. And then I want to step back into the story and hear what I hope will be the good news Uh, of what Jesus does. So the the first observation, uh, hopefully that's clear if you're taking notes, the first observation is I think one thing we typically do in this kind of situation is we often despair of our own unrighteousness, to use the churchy word. We, We often despair of all the ways we feel we don't measure up. Right, uh, well, if, we, if, we, if there was an action we wanted to put here, we might say we hide, right? It is a common thing. We hide, we cover up. Adam and Eve have been doing it since the beginning, right? When we feel our exposure as sort of less than ideally good uh, at times or oftentimes, we, 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 we want to pull away. We want to pull back from Jesus for sure, but from all kinds of spaces in life, we want to pull back. We We hide, we cover over the insecurity that we feel under the inscrutable eye of genuine goodness. We cover it over with hypocrisy which is, we, we use that word as like a dirty word, and, but, but I mean, it's what it is. Like we, we like, it's just a thing we do to be okay, right? Like I gotta put this foot out there, this sort of face forward just to kind of be okay, but inside I'm, I'm, I'm hiding. I think it's interesting in each of these cases, or as we think about uh, sort of how we respond in this particular example, I, I think maybe it's a feeling, you know, where we sink under the weight of the sins that we carry, particularly our experience of those sins in the light of something like the Sermon on the Mount and the person to whom that sermon points. I uh, was trying to think of a way to maybe sort of help us into that feeling. And uh, a couple of things came to mind, really sort of a couple of variations of the same point. I, I, I was reading, I just recently read the Matthew Perry's memoir. You guys know Chandler being from Friends. And I was listening to the audio book, which, which was uncomfortable given his sort of sad uh, and tragic recent, fairly recent death. And the, the words are in his voice and he's talking about death like right out of the gate that he should be dead and it was an awkward moment in fact I put it down for a while before I stepped back into it but he does something in that story that I think has relevance for this conversation and how we relate to the light and goodness of Jesus Matthew Perry he writes uh, wrote about his struggles with the disease of addiction and if you are at all familiar, you probably paid attention to stuff, you know some of these things. But he writes very candidly about that struggle. And in the sharing of that struggle, he describes an encounter with God. Actually, God is all over the pages of the memoir, sort of on the fringes, sometimes in the center, and trying to make sense of those experiences. The language is very, at times, religious and Christian even. But he describes an encounter with God, with sort of, for him in this moment, the, the light of God. But in that moment, he frames the, the question, or the, the experience in a way that is just like hung, hung with me. 
And, and he, he describes a sort of salvific moment. God saves him. As an addict, right, he's been candid about the disease and, and the brokenness of his life, the despair. He's talked about the complexity of the situations in his life that have led to it. He's talked about his own culpability in it. He's talked about the sort of things outside of his control that have kept him there. All of those complexities are present. And in this moment, he has a, a, an experience of, of God, the light of God. But he, he says in that moment, in his description of that moment, it was as if God were saying, now go earn this. So, so we'd had this incredible encounter of life and, and, and an openness to what his life could be, that even in this moment of brokenness and despair, he was seen. But the takeaway from that moment for him was a, at least the way that he characterized it was that now go earn this, which is an interesting word in the moment of salvation. Now go earn this. It took me back to a, a book I read some years ago by a, a, a guy named Jason Michelli. And he's reflecting on uh, marriage, but he's reflecting on it through the lens of his experience as a, a survival, uh, survivor of an incurable form of, of cancer. And I think I may have referenced his work before, but he describes the feeling having lived through uh, what was terminal and now been given a second life. He describes the pressure that it has put on his life in general, on his marriage in particular. He's, you keep hearing, you're a miracle, you're a miracle. And he's like, that's true and great, but it comes with an incredible burden for his marriage to merit this miracle, he says. It's another version of, now go earn this. And he, in his work, references another example, if we're not maybe hearing it, uh, but you guys, maybe you've seen Saving Private Ryan. Uh, you guys, yes? A story you know uh, where Tom Hanks and his um, uh, 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 band of soldiers are tasked with um, uh, rescuing, freeing, and securing Matt Damon's character. And you know the story along the way. Their lives are lost. It is a hard-fought um, uh, victory. And you, you remember, uh, Michelle references the work, but, uh, you know, he, they come through. But in, in the moment, what Matt Damon's character hears, like Tom Hanks's character says it to him specifically, earn this, earn this. Michelle reflects, man, earn this miracle is a God-awful impossibility to impose on someone. And I would say to you this morning, even yourself, Right, he, you know, Michelle, he says to Matt Damon's character, he's probably, you know, because he's crying at the end of the movie. He's an old man. He goes back and he revisits and he's crying at the end of the movie. And this is probably a little tongue in cheek. But Michelle, says, you know, he's probably crying because he's petrified that he hasn't earned anything close to the purchase price of his pardon. Or because after a lifetime, he is still, he still has no idea how to measure if he's met the conditions of his rescue. I think all of these are examples of the pool in our heart to hide from the goodness of God. The perfect word that comes to us and at us in Jesus that can be heard full of grace but can also be heard as a, 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 an example, a standard to which we know we fall short and can never live up. I think sometimes this feeling of 
now earn this sort of settles on us and we think I could never earn this. We come off the Sermon on the Mount inspired to goodness, the good life. We see Jesus clearly. We hear his invitation to good and man, like most of humanity, we think, oof, and we retreat. We hide the word earn, now go earn, this feels too burdensome. I thought of another cultural example that might help. Any Barney Fife fans in the house? No? All right. <laughs> okay, it was a shot, but uh, I might make, t- well, anyway, we'll just keep going. <laughs> Uh, it's one of the later seasons, right? There's a scene. Do you guys remember Gomer Pyle, right? The sort of like comedic, one of the other comedic reliefs in the story. Like uh, Barney Fife is, you know, the assistant sheriff, and he, um, he uh, uh, arrests or gives Gomer Pyle a ticket for some kind of minor, minor violation. And a few moments later in the episode, Barney himself is guilty of the very same infraction. Yes? Do you guys remember this episode? Does anyone remember the sort of, it's the title of the episode or what Gomer Pyle sort of drives? So what Gomer Pyle does is he issues a citizen's arrest, right? And he does it with an accent that I'm not going to replicate. But it's just just a great sort of uh, moment of tension in the episode. Citizen's arrest, citizen's arrest. And and, and I think, right, I think that experience um, uh, plays out in our own Um, experiences of this good word from Jesus, right? We, We get caught up in these kinds of games. We hide in hypocrisy at times because, or we sort of like, I, you know, I can get behind the officer. Jesus is a segue into where we go next. One response is to despair, that even when we're like, I'm doing okay, and I can point out the goodness or the badness in others, and then we inevitably fall short, as Barney Five does here, which leads to all sorts of complications. We feel those complications in our own life. Earning this is a hard, hard road, and we know we can't. So, so that leads me to one other response, and Barney 5 is a helpful transition. I, I think sometimes we sort of despair of our unrighteousness when, when, when we come off the mountain, but I think we also can exaggerate our, our righteousness. We get to use the churchy word, goodness, what, whatever, our enoughness. We could despair that we are not enough in light of what is truly good, or I think at times we kind of exaggerate uh, uh, our enoughness, our goodness. If we were going to use another word, like if we hide in the one instance, I think we tend to holler in the other, maybe like Gomer or like Barney. We expect Jesus, all right? So in this scene, as we step back in, we expect Jesus, the perfect one, coming down from the mountain, who has said, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, as he now encounters outsiders who, who are poster children for, for what is not perfect in this sort of religious ecosystem of his day. We expect him to put them in their proper place. Right? Finally, righteousness will have its day. It, it reminds me, if you'll indulge me, of another Barney Fife uh, episode. Should we, should I have, I should have just cut my losses with the first one, but I'm committed. So I'm going to give you one more. There's another one where he's like, in the, this is early in the, early in the canon of uh, Andy Griffith sort of, you know, mythology. Uh, he, uh, he's, he's made sheriff for a day, like Andy Griffith has to leave town. When he comes back, everyone is locked up. 
Like he has locked everyone up. He has, he has bought into officer Jesus, right? Like he, he, uh, he, he, he has made a lot of noise. He has stuck to the letter of the law. He has taken the word from the mount, be perfect. And he has held everyone in town to that standard, which means that Aunt B and even the mayor are in jail, right? See, we're prone to sort of exaggerate our own enoughness. And we, we're like, I, I, I could get behind this kind of Jesus. Make me a deputy. I'll, be, I'll happily be a deputy for Officer Jesus. And I think, uh, interestingly, in the story, uh, as Emily read it for us, Jesus' harshest words in the story Words of warning and caution that land with severity in verses 11 and 12 are, are, are for the people making a lot of noise about their own righteousness, are for the people for whom the lines are very clear. His warning in this moment, right, that, that, that whatever they think the end will look like, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the kingdom of heaven will look like in its fullest expression. Jesus tells them, actually, there will be people there you do not expect to see. And he cautions them, warns them. So here we are, in a sense, invites them to throw their lot in with the outsiders. So here, here we are, back in the story, aware of our tendencies to either, you know, sort of hide or to inflate, hide from or inflate the fact that we're not enough or that we're doing okay. So we're back in the story. A leper, a centurion, and a mother-in-law walk into a bar. What will Jesus do? What will Jesus do? What happens in the story? You guys know. Emily read it for us. What happens in the story? What happens? He heals them. Yes? He, he heals them. He, he physically, like, touches the leper, which on a sort of physical scale is remarkable all on its own, but he heals them and it's where the story ends the Matthew goes all the way back to a moment much earlier in the history of God's people in Isaiah and he quotes this passage that Jesus would take up the the iniquity the infirmities the sin and sickness of our hearts the imperfections of our lives he would take them up in himself and bear our diseases what will Jesus do in this moment will he put them in their place will he lock them up keep them on the outside where they ought to be? Uh, what will he do? Will they stay away? Will they hide and not uh, be present in this moment? What will happen in this moment? And Jesus, incredibly, has the audacity to touch them and heal them. R remarkably, to, 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 to heal them. And, and even more remarkable, at least in the first two examples of, of all places, what is found here is faith, the hope that Jesus will respond favorably, even as outsiders, that he would hear them. I wonder, man, what do we expect to come to happen, right? Like coming down from the mountain, be perfect, and these sort of examples of imperfection, and what Jesus, the perfect one, does is heal them, make them good, right? He is the one who puts them right. He takes up their brokenness, their not enoughness in himself. And this, I think, is a hopeful word for all of us, both for those of us adrift in our unrighteousness and for those of us confident in our self-righteousness. Jesus says, trust me. Trust me my work. 
for you. Trust what I will do in the future on the cross. Uh, There's a connection here between what Jesus does as he heals and the forgiveness of sins that Matthew has said would would be his aim. Right at the beginning in Matthew chapter 1, you know, we'll name him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. And here we find him doing it, taking up their brokenness in himself and making them whole good. Both our unrighteousness and our righteousness exposed in this moment, the exposure of the Pharisees and religious leaders who can't quite make sense of why he would do something like this and the, and the despair of the centurion and the, the leper and even Peter's mother-in-law in this moment. Like uh, in each instance, Jesus is present and responds and says, trust in my goodness. Rest in my enoughness not in what you fail to bring or what you think you bring to this conversation. So Jesus comes down from the mountain. These folks meet him in their weakness and their despair, desperate for help, but imperfect. And Jesus, in his perfection, looks at them and heals them, touches them. A leper, a centurion, I'll say it again, and Peter's mother-in-law walk into Jesus, right? And maybe in the end, the joke is on us. Maybe Jesus is right where he said he would be. With the poor and the mourners, loving his enemies, loving us. Maybe Jesus meets you there this morning. The question then is how do we respond? What is our posture? What what does resting in Jesus look like for you and me? What might it look like for you to honor Jesus' healing in your life in a way that isn't a word that says, now go earn this, this sort of oppressive word that says, go earn this, live up to this. How do we walk away from an experience like this without becoming Barney Fife, Sir Gomer Piles, Pileses, Piles, Piles, I don't know what the plural of Gomer Piles is, but you know where I'm headed there. I think, we make, I think we make the confession of this leper and this centurion every day. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but if you just say the word. I think it's to return to this confession that admits our inadequacy, but also our worthiness that Jesus, because of what he has done, doesn't shy away, but but crosses, bridges the distance and meets us here to return to this confession every day and hear him say in response, I am willing. And maybe you're here this morning and that is not a word you have heard from your father or haven't heard it in a very long time. We're going to sing it in just a moment, but I I think it's an invitation into two confessions, two wonders here that I confess in your presence, Jesus, my worth and my unworthiness, that my value is fixed, my ransom is paid at the cross where you have taken, you have taken all that is not enough and all that I mistakenly think is more than enough. You have taken all of it and you have made me Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you uh, for your goodness and grace. I pray for our community this morning as we sit with your word, wherever we may be, Jesus, in relationship to faith and in relationship to 
um, who you are and what you have done. God, maybe we are despairing. We feel the distance between you and us in, 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 in essentially tangible ways in our lives. God, we feel it and we, we retreat, we despair of it. God, maybe we're here and we, we are a little too self-reliant. I pray for all of us, Jesus, your word of grace would meet us where we are crushed under the weight of now, go earn this or I don't deserve this. Would we hear your gracious word that says, I have taken this up in my own life and death and resurrection now. You go. I am willing. I pray, Jesus, wherever we are in relationship to you, we would hear that word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at Park City KC.